amen. Please be seated. And let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And I'm gonna read and preach verses 30 through 33 this evening, finishing up the chapter. It's the last paragraph of chapter 15 there, where Paul asks the believers he's writing to to pray for him. Pray for me, he tells them. Something he often asks his readers to do in his letters. He's not above that, even though he is an apostle. Previously, you'll recall, he said that he wants to come and see them, these Christians in Rome, and he wants them to support his mission to Spain, to take the gospel far away to Spain in the West. But first, he needs to go to Jerusalem to bring to the Christians there this collection that's been made for them by the Gentile Christians in Macedonia and Achaia, these places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and so on. And then, once that's done, he plans to come see the believers in Rome he's writing to. And here, he asks them to pray for him as he goes to Jerusalem. He asked them to pray that he would be delivered from the unbelievers there in Judea and that he would be accepted by the believers so that he can then go to Rome as planned with joy and enjoy the company of the believers in Rome before he continues on to Spain. And we'll pick up on various things in these verses, but the main thing I wanna focus on is the topic of prayer because that's what Paul's asking for in these verses. He's asking for prayer. He's raising his hand and sharing a prayer request, as it were. And what he says, I think, can be a help to us in our prayer lives. And who doesn't need help in their prayer life? We all do. So let's pray that God would give us some help through these verses by his grace, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us in an area that we probably all feel is an area of weakness, our prayer lives, our praying, our prayers. We thank you for these verses where we can read about Paul's prayer request and the call to strive together in prayer to you for, for each other. Please use these verses to sanctify us and to equip us to have a richer prayer life, a more consistent prayer life. And we pray that all the seeds that are sown this evening would fall on good soil, the soil of our hearts that have been tilled and made ready to receive your word by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 15, reading the last paragraph of the chapter, verses 30 through 33, and I remind us that this is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy 
and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Three points this evening. First, we'll see the call to prayer that Paul gives in verse 30. Then the content of prayer that he calls for in verse 31. And finally, the outcome of prayer that he anticipates in verses 32 and 33. And kids, don't forget the key words for kids at the top. Adults, you're welcome to use those as well if they would be helpful to you. You can listen for those words as you listen to the sermon and uh, seek to follow along in that way. So first, let's focus on the call to prayer that Paul gives in verse 30. He says in verse 30 again, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. That is, I plead with you, I beseech you. I urge you, brothers and sisters in the family of God, by our Lord Jesus Christ, that is, in light of all of who he is and all of what he's done for us, and he says, by the love of the Spirit, meaning either the Spirit's love for them, the love of the Spirit for them, or perhaps their love for Paul that comes from the Spirit, by the love, your love, of or from the Spirit. I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So he's saying, I'm striving in prayer about this and I appeal to you to strive together with me in prayer about this. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. This is the call to prayer that Paul gives in verse 30. And before we look at the content of prayer that he calls them to pray for, there are three things I think we can learn from prayer about what he says here in verse 30. First of all, prayer is something that all of us need. Prayer is something that all of us need. Paul's asking them to pray for him but Paul is an apostle. Does, does he really need prayer as an apostle of Jesus Christ? Well, yes, of course he does. He's not above the need for prayer, even though he is an apostle. And I would say, in a similar way, your pastors are not above the need for prayer, even though we're pastors. And I speak on behalf of both of us, both Tim and I, when I say, please pray for us. I know you do, but please continue to pray for us. We are so thankful for your prayers and we desire you to pray for us and we need you to pray for us. Pray that we would be faithful and diligent. Pray that we would be humble and godly. Pray that we would be wise and discerning and gentle and gracious. Pray that we would be strong and courageous in the Lord. Pray that we would be loving like our Lord Jesus Christ is loving. Please pray for us, your pastors. We desire your prayers. We need your prayers. All of us need prayer because all of us need God. All of us need the Lord. We need God like we need oxygen in order to survive, in order to make it. We need more of God in our lives. 
We need God to work in our lives. We need God to do what only God can do in our lives. So we all need prayer. We need each other's prayers, like Paul. This is why we provide some tools for you to use to pray for each other around here, like the weekly prayer list that Dottie sends out via email or the monthly prayer calendar that's at the ministries board. You can pray for one another that way. Or the church directory, it's a great tool to use to pray for each other. Taking a page a day, perhaps, and praying for those, those people who are smiling up at you from that one page for that day. We need others to be praying for us and we need to be praying for others in the body of Christ. We need our brothers and sisters to lift up our requests before our heavenly Father and we need to do the same for them. All of us need prayer because all of us need God. The second thing I think we can learn about prayer from what Paul says here in verse 30 is that prayer is grounded in the gospel. Prayer is grounded in the gospel. Paul appeals to these believers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with him in their prayers to God on his behalf. He doesn't appeal to them to pray by the promise that if they say enough prayers, they'll make it to heaven. Nor does he appeal to them to pray by the strength of their own willpower or eloquence. No, he appeals to them to pray by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit because prayer is grounded in the gospel. Prayer is not the foundation, prayer is the house. The foundation is the gospel and prayer is grounded in the gospel. Paul appeals to them to pray by the Lord Jesus Christ in light of all of who he is and all of what he's done. And he appeals to them to pray by the love of the Spirit, in light of the Spirit's love for them and or their Spirit-empowered love. Sort of like back in chapter 12, verse one, where Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is by the mercies of God or in light of the mercies of God that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And in much the same way, it is by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit that we pray. We don't pray to earn God's favor. We pray because we have God's favor. Prayer is grounded in the gospel. The third thing we can learn about prayer from what Paul says here in verse 30 is, and this is not contradictory to the previous point, prayer involves striving. Prayer involves striving. Prayer is hard work. And I think it could just be helpful to know that. Because prayer is sometimes hard for us and when it's hard for us, we can feel like there's something wrong with us. And while there is something wrong with us, we are sinners, we can sometimes feel alone in our struggle as if prayer is somehow much easier for everyone else and a struggle only for us. But prayer is hard work. Prayer involves striving, struggling, wrestling, Prayer is like hiking. Sometimes it's downhill, it's more easy. Sometimes you're at the top and it's glorious. 
but other times it's an uphill climb. One commentator said that prayer involves discipline, energy, and earnestness. Colossians 4.12, Paul talks about Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. We could think about Jacob wrestling with God at Bethel in Genesis 32. We could think about the early church praying for Peter when he was imprisoned in Acts 12, verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. We are called to strive in prayer, to pray earnestly, to pray fervently. Like our Savior did in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke 22, verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And of course there are times when prayer is just wonderful. Prayer is peaceful, it's joyful. It's sweet, like we sing in sweet hour of prayer. But the point here is that prayer also involves striving. It also involves struggling and wrestling. We're to work at it and not give up. We're to work at it by the grace and strength of Christ. We're to strive in prayer with all his strength that he powerfully works within us. So that's the call to prayer that Paul gives in verse 30. What is the content of prayer that he calls for? Let's look at that now under our second main point, the content of prayer. Starting again at verse 30, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Prayers for what? What's the content of the prayer he's calling for? That... I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So he wants them to pray that he would be delivered from the unbelievers and accepted by the believers in Judea. He wants them to pray first that he would be delivered from the unbelievers, that he would be delivered from death, from the unbelieving Jews in Judea, he means, who, if you remember from the book of Acts, plotted many times to kill Paul. And it's not that he wants his life to be spared above all else, because he says in Acts 21, 13, I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And he said in Acts 20, 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he doesn't want to be delivered for the sake of his own life. He wants to be delivered for the sake of the name of Christ and the ministry that he received from Christ. It's not so much that he wants his life to continue as that he wants his mission to continue. And so he asks them to pray that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea so that that can happen. He also asks them to pray that he would be accepted by the believers. 
and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And here he's referring to this contribution that we've been talking about for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And we may wonder, why was he concerned about this? Why is he asking for prayer about this? Well, because we're told in the book of Acts, the Jewish Christians were a little concerned about Paul's view of the Old Testament law mainly because his message was being misrepresented by false teachers. But it says in, for example, Acts 21, 20 and 21, speaking of the Jewish believers, they are all zealous for the law and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Which of course was an oversimplification and really a distortion of what Paul believed and taught about the law of Moses. But in light of this, he's just a bit concerned about the Jewish believers in Jerusalem accepting him and his service to them in the form of the collection. And so he appeals to them to pray for him, to pray that he would be accepted by these believers in Judea. By the way, I think we can learn from this briefly to pray repeatedly and to pray specifically. To pray repeatedly Because notice, Paul does not say, if I could just get one of you to pray for the first request about the unbelievers, and then another one of you to pray for the second request about the believers, then I think we're good to go. Nobody else needs to pray for those things. And by the way, those of you who volunteered to pray for those two things, you only need to pray once, and 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 then that's all. No, his wording here, assumes that he wants many people to pray for these things and he wants them to pray for these things repeatedly. That's the pattern we see in scripture. We don't, we don't pray for things once and assume we never have to pray for them again. We pray for them repeatedly. We keep going back to the Lord. We keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking in prayer. Prayer, as it were, is not like baptism where it's one and done. It's more like the Lord's Supper where we come again and again and again to the Lord. So pray repeatedly. And also pray specifically. Paul doesn't just say, pray that God would bless my trip. It's not a bad prayer to pray, but he asks them to pray specifically for deliverance from the unbelievers and acceptance from the believers. Oftentimes, the more specific we can be in prayer, the better. I think it helps us to be more real with God in prayer. It's more likely to encourage others we may be praying with. And I think, honestly, it's how we'd want to be prayed for. Not just for general things, but for specific things. And we can pray for others how we want to be prayed for by others. Sort of golden rule praying, if you will. So pray repeatedly and pray specifically. We might wonder, were these two prayers answered? Well, we don't hear much about the collection. There is a reference in Acts 24, verses 17 and 18, where Paul says, now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. 
While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. And he goes on. So we can perhaps infer from that reference that he did in fact deliver the collection and that his service for Jerusalem was in fact acceptable to the saints. Regarding to the, the answer to the first prayer, that he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, now that's a bit more complicated. We could say it was answered, but likely not in the way that Paul expected. Commentator Thomas Schreiner summarizes this way. After his arrival, he was assaulted and nearly killed in the temple, Acts 21, 26 through 36. During his imprisonment, a Jewish plot to kill him was foiled, 23, 12 through 35. And Paul ended up in Rome only by appealing to Caesar, 25, 10 through 12. Was the prayer for rescue answered? He says, it certainly was, though not in the way Paul anticipated. Still, his life was preserved despite the fierceness of the opposition. Indeed, Acts emphasizes that the Jewish opposition was the means by which Paul arrived in Rome. John Murray put it this way. Paul did go to Rome, but under circumstances and after delays which he could not have forecast. God answered the prayers, but not in the ways that Paul had hoped for or anticipated. And then Murray says, the lessons for us to be derived from this are numberless. God answers our prayers, but not always in the way that we expect. Sometimes he answers our prayers in ways that are unexpected, in ways that were unanticipated by us, but of course foreordained by our God. He gets us to our final destination, but the route that he takes is not necessarily the route we would have taken. But when we get there, and when we look back over the route that he took us on, then we will see that it was the best route. It was the route chosen by infinite wisdom and infinite goodness and infinite love. And we can pray with that in mind. We can, we can pray repeatedly, we can pray specifically, and we can trust that God will answer our prayers in the way that he deems best. And isn't he trustworthy? Can't we trust him with how he answers our prayers? We sure can, and we should. And he can help us to pray with trust. That's the content of prayer that Paul calls for. What is the outcome of prayer he anticipates? Let's consider that now under our third main point, our final point, the outcome of prayer. Look at verse 32. So that, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He says, pray for me 
that I may be delivered from unbelievers and accepted by believers so that by God's will, that is, if it is God's will, if it is God's plan, I may come to you. And so that I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. In other words, so that I may come to you with joy and not with sorrow. With the joy of having been delivered from the unbelievers and accepted by the believers. With the joy of being able to come and see you, which I've longed to do for many years. With the joy of being able to enjoy your company and then continue on to Spain with your support and encouragement and help. And then after appealing to them to pray for him, he closes by praying for them. Verse 33. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of peace. Just like God is the God of endurance and encouragement, back up in verse five, and the God of hope in verse 13, so he is the God of peace here in verse 33 meaning the God who is the source of peace, the God who gives us peace. And Paul prays that the God of peace would be with them all, with them all, as a body, as a church, as a communion of saints with different backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles, and with different convictions. Remember all that he said about the conscience in the last few chapters. May the God of peace be with you all, giving you his peace in your relationships, in your fellowship together as one body. And then he says, amen. So let it be. Amen marks the end of our prayers, but it does not mark the end of Paul's letter. There's one more chapter full of greetings and final exhortations and a benediction and a doxology. It's a very rich chapter, which I very much look forward to getting into in the coming weeks as we are on the last mile in this Romans marathon that we have been running together. But as we draw to a close this evening, I wanna mention three more things by way of application here. One about our relationships with each other, one about our relationship with God, and one final one about prayer. First, about our relationships with each other, particularly our relationships with our fellow church members here in the body of Christ at CRPC. Mutual joy and refreshment should be our goal in our fellowship with each other. Mutual joy and refreshment should be our goal in our fellowship with each other. Paul says, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Listen to a few more verses. 1 Corinthians 16, 17 and 18. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. He says to Philemon in verse seven of Philemon, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And isn't that a good goal for us? Isn't that a great goal for our our conversations, our interactions with each other, our fellowship with one another? That others would be refreshed in our company, 
having been in our company, not stressed in our company or bored in our company or discouraged in our company or drained in our company, but refreshed and renewed and encouraged and energized to serve the Lord and to glorify and enjoy him. We want our conversations to be like a cup of cold water on a hot summer day or a warm cup of coffee or tea on a chilly fall morning. We want people to be refreshed by our company. Mutual joy and refreshment should be our goal in our fellowship with each other. That's about our relationship with each other. Secondly, about our relationship with God. If God, the God of peace is with us, we can be at peace. If the God of peace is with us, we can be at peace. So often I think the reason we lack peace in the midst of our troubles is not so much because of our troubles, but because we lose sight of the simple truth that God is with us in the midst of our troubles. Remember when Jesus and the disciples were in the boat in the storm on the Sea of Galilee? What were the disciples doing? And what was Jesus doing? The disciples were panicking while Jesus was sleeping. They were both in the same boat. They were both in the same storm. But only one of them had peace. The rest were in a panic. Jesus had peace because he was resting calmly in the will of his father. The disciples were panicking because they lost sight of the father and of the son who was right there with them in the boat. See, we wanna be like Jesus, not the disciples in that instance. More aware of the presence of the father than the presence of the storm. If the God of peace is with us, then we can be at peace. And the God of peace is with us. And will never leave us. So no matter what storm we are in, we can be at peace, resting calmly in the will of our Father. Third, and finally, one more thing about prayer. Paul says, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy. And that reminds us simply that we should pray in submission to God's will. We should pray in submission to God's will. Remember what Jesus said when he prayed to the Father in the garden. Matthew 26, 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but yours be done. 
as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for each other, as we strive in prayer, as we pray repeatedly and specifically, we should pray in submission to the will of our Father. We should strive and we should submit. We should pray hard and we should trust God's providence. Like I said earlier, we can trust that God will answer our prayers in the way that he deems best. And his best is best. He knows what is best. As it's been said, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. God knows everything, everything. He knows what we most need. He knows what what will be best for us. He knows the wisest route to take us on to our final destination. So as we pray to him, for ourselves and for each other. Let's pray with trust. Let's pray with confidence in God's providence. Let's strive in prayer and then rest in the will of our Father. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these verses and we thank you for the gift of prayer. Please use these verses and the truths we've considered from them and in light of them to grow each one of us in our prayer lives, in our understanding of prayer and our practice of prayer. And most of all, help us to pray to you with trust and confidence in the infinite wisdom and goodness of your plan. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.